Good morning, good morning, good morning. What's up and praise the Lord, good people. It is always an honor to be in the house of the Lord. It is always a pleasure to be able to share this time and this space with you, uh, especially in this capacity. I am privileged to be able to bring the word forward today. Um, some of you have heard me say this before, and it's my prayer that you get to hear me say it 10,000 more times. I'm just grateful that our last time here was not our last time here. Uh, and it is great to see so many new faces. I have been honored to shake the hands of a few folks that I hadn't met before. With Matt McKenzie, I shook the hand of Steve and I gave a strong hug to Brother Nixon, folks that I've never even met before, and I've already had the chance to touch you. So that is a blessing to me. And then it warmed my heart to hear Sister Juliana call me Brother Ed. Oh my goodness. That warmed my heart. So I'm excited to be here today, and I hope you are excited to be here today. We do have a word for you, but before we dive into the word, uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father who art in heaven, blessed is your name. We are just grateful to be here another day. And so we say thank you. We have a laundry list of things to be thankful for, Heavenly Father, but we recognize that they are all achievable through you. And so we say thank you. I pray that you bless your messenger. Allow your message to go forward with power. Allow your people to leave here today with power, with faith and trust in you. We love you, we honor you, and magnify your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, I delivered a message entitled Hide and Seek with the Lord, which was the first part of what has become the series entitled The Book of Jonah, Rebellion and Repentance. In part one, we focused on the fact that Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. We know that God told Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh to take this message of repentance to the Ninevites. But because of his own disdain for the Assyrian citizens, Jonah decided to rebel against God and he abandoned his assignment. He even reneged on his vows as a prophet. The Bible tells us that instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah tried to flee to Tarshish. And he did so by going down to Joppa, where he found a ship that was headed to Tarshish. And then he went down into the ship. And once he was in that ship, he went down into the inner part of that ship and fell asleep. And anyone who has ever preached a message about Jonah seems to agree that because Jonah was so bent on going down, the Lord gave him exactly what he was looking for, and he found himself sinking down into the depths of the sea and then ultimately down in the belly of a great fish. And now he has nowhere to run and no one to turn to except God. Now, I was having a conversation with Brother Stephen the other day, and he retold this popular quote to me that says, we don't realize Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. And I think Jonah came to that realization. So we left off with Jonah being thrown into the sea, and then the pagan mariners uh, were making sacrifices and vows to the Lord. And so today we're going to see what other lessons we can get from this story of Jonah by unpacking parts of chapter two, which is often referred to as Jonah's prayer. So if you will, join me in your Bibles or your Bible apps in the book of Jonah, chapter two. That's the book of Jonah, chapter two. Um, I am also going to read verse 17 of chapter one to sort of reset the stage, but you just meet me in Jonah, chapter two. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called, out of, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. 
All of your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy spirit. I'm sorry, your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land where, uh, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pits, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So I started with verse 17 of chapter 1 because I wanted to begin this message by solidifying uh, an often misconstrued truth. Like many of you, I learned about the story of Jonah when I was just a little boy, and so it's fair to say that at that age, I had no interest in hermeneutics or the interpretation of literary text, and so I received the story just as it was given to me. And so when I was told that uh, Jonah got in trouble for disobeying God, he was thrown into the sea and swallowed by this whale, I thought that's how it was supposed to go because that's just what it was in my house. You did something bad, you got in trouble, but I was wrong. So for about the next, I don't know, 20 years or so, I walked around thinking Jonah's punishment was being swallowed by this whale and then having to sit in time out for three days and three nights. I was raised to believe that Jonah was an example that bad things happen to good people who do bad things. And we'll see today that the true story of Jonah is the story about a good God who saves and rescues sinful people like us who are constantly trying to go their own way. So perhaps there's someone here today that also believed or perhaps even still believe that Jonah being swallowed by that great fish was his punishment. And if that is you, please don't feel awkward or embarrassed because you have demonstrated the most logical and practical way of thinking of a really unusual story. But here's the truth. Being swallowed by that great fish was not a punishment. It was a provision from God to save Jonah's life. If God wanted Jonah to die, he would have just drowned in the sea. But instead, God provided the belly of the fish as a shelter and even safety. Additionally, God gave Jonah time, three days and three nights to be exact, which is more than sufficient enough for any man, particularly Jonah, to reflect, recover, and repent for his rebellious behaviors. I think it's important for us to know this information because as we work through this story, all of these details are going to change perspective. Perspective can have an impact on our understanding. And so again, being swallowed by that great fish was not his punishment, but it was an extension of God's grace, an opportunity for deliverance. Now that I think about it, it, it makes perfect sense to me that there was no Sunday school today. All of the kids need to hear that about the Jonah story because we all hear the Jonah story and we hear one perspective, Jonah did something bad, thrown in the ocean, swallowed by a whale. But here's what I need you to know. The, the, the fact is that the last thing the Lord wants to do is punish his children. And so the next time you find yourself down in the deep or in your darkness, going through your own trials and tribulations, try not to get so lost in your pain and in your misery, in your headache, your heartache, your confusion, your discomfort, or even your ignorance, that you might mistake provisions from the Lord as your punishment. No matter how dangerous or scary or difficult the circumstance may be, the Lord will do unanticipated things to get your attention merely to save your life. You see, the Lord is saving Jonah in the fish, not from the fish. We often want the Lord to come and rescue us from the deeps and from the darkness. 
when really he is there to save us and rescue us or meet us in the deep and in the darkness. So the last time you find yourself, I mean, the next time you find yourself in a storm, don't be so quick to say, Lord, 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 come and pull me out of the storm. Ask him for the strength, for the health, for the wisdom to endure the storm. Here's a true story. Uh, in September of 2017, a whale biologist named, uh, I think her name is Nan Hauser, she was in the ocean and she was studying well activity per usual, uh, but this time would be different. She is usually the one in the ocean following the whales and badgering the whales and chasing them down, but this time she was being confronted by this humpback whale. And the story says for 10 and a half minutes that whale bumped her, it dragged her to and from the surface, it rolled her down its back and it would often just flip her onto its uh, pectoral fins. She didn't know what was going on, she was terrified. Naturally so. And so she would push away from the well and she tried to swim away from the well, but this well just kept coming back and she didn't understand why. But she quickly learned that the well knew something that she didn't know. You see, the well was forcefully pushing her back towards her boat. And after she boarded her boat, she looked out in the distance and she saw this huge tiger shark coming her way. So the well wasn't trying to harm her. The well was trying to save her life. Now, am I claiming that the Lord sent that will as a provision to save her life? No, I, I can't make that claim. But given what I know about his love, his mercy, and his grace, I just wouldn't put it past him. And so we're going to look at chapter 2 and see what we can gather from what some have called the prayer of Jonah and others have called the song or the poem or the psalm of Jonah. And keep in mind, this is after he's been sitting in that belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Verses 1 and 2 says, uh, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. So this verse of the psalm or the poem or the song is an introduction. It summarizes Jonah's rescue. He cried out to the Lord in distress from the belly of the fish. Uh, the Lord heard him, and then he also answered him. But here is what jumps out at me about this verse, and I wanted to bring it to your attention. This phrase, the verse starts off with the phrase, then Jonah prayed. He was sitting in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, then Jonah prayed. I couldn't help but wonder why do we think so many folks just wait until we are in the deepest of the deep or in the deepest of our darkness before we start praying to God. Not only do we often wait until we are facing adversity and or affliction, but we often try to sit with that adversity and that affliction just like Jonah. And we will wait, and we will wait, and we will wait, and I don't know how long it's going to take before we come to the realization that we can't sit around waiting to hear from God. God wants to hear from us. It is us that has the privilege and the power to pray whenever we want, wherever we want, and still many of us like Jonah will wait in that deep for days, months, weeks, sometimes even years. But luckily for Jonah, he understood the power of prayer, and so he prayed, and he called out to his Lord. If I was Jonah, I would have prayed the minute I got the assignment. Lord, now you know I don't want to go over there to Nineveh, man, so please, please help me see these people the way you see these people. Lord, help me. And if that failed, I would have prayed the minute I got to Joppa. Lord, you said the steps of a good man are ordered by you, so please redirect my path. Do not let me get on this boat. My point is this. We have to become more proactive with our prayers. That means praying in a situation before it becomes a confrontation or a crisis. Too many of us are only reactive prayers. Lord, I'm in trouble. Come and help me. 
But I hope we understand that prayer is the primary way for believers in Jesus Christ to communicate his emotions and his desires with God. It is relationship building and fellowship with the King of all kings. And today, someone might be saying to themselves, well, Brother Ed, I, I don't know how to pray. Just talk to him. Literally, just talk to him. Your prayer can be audible. It can be silence. It can be private. It can be public. It can be formal or informal. Just engage with conversations with God. He desires it. Well, Brother Ed, I, I don't know what to talk to him about. Anything and everything. The Lord invites us to talk to him about anything. Nothing is off limits. Well, Brother Ed, I don't know how often I am supposed to pray. Well, the biblical response is told to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, pray without ceasing. Now, of course, you don't have to literally pray 24-7. It's not that we have to pray all day. It may be that we need to get into the practice of praying every single day. It is about persistence and consistency. Our conversations with God must be ongoing. You see, prayer is, to a believer, the most powerful weapon we can have. Why? Because it holds immeasurable value, and it costs us next to nothing. In fact, prayer is so powerful. Out of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus for, uh, back in Luke 11, verse 1, one of the disciples said, Lord, just, just teach us how to pray. So let's think of it another way. By show of hands, how many parents here are excitedly counting down the day that their children stop communicating with them altogether? I'm telling you now, if you raise your hand now, you're going to have to repent later. But the truth is, most of us, if not all of us, most of us pray that our children will become more communicative with us. We desire that. We yearn for our children to talk with us. In fact, over the past couple of days, I've been analyzing my conversations with my son when I pick him up from uh, camp. And for the past couple of days, he's been asking me some really powerful spiritual questions like, what's the difference between God and Jesus? Or uh, are the roads in heaven really made of gold? And why do bad people exist? And every once in a while, he'll throw me a curveball and ask me something like, do you think Superman will beat the Incredible Hulk? <laughs> my daughter, Christine, every once in a while would love to rest her head on my shoulders. And to me, that is a form of communication, but sometimes she'll give me about anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes where she will want to talk about what I tend to call randomness. It could be anything. She'll just start talking. But that's communication, and I've learned to value that, and I've learned to seek it out. And sometimes my oldest daughter, Tiana, would send me a text out of the blue to ask a question or to share a laugh, some TikTok video or something like that, and I love it. But guess what? Our Heavenly Father feels the same way about our communications with Him. And just like we don't like it when our kids contact us only when they want something, the Lord doesn't want you begging every single time you pray to Him. If you can receive that, somebody say amen. All right, so we are still in verse 2. Jonah called out to the Lord out of his distress, out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol was considered this place of the dead. Many of the early Jews believed that when they died, people just descended to this dark place called Sheol. And that was their final destination. So Jonah equates being in the belly of this fish as to being in Sheol, the place of death. But lucky for Jonah, again, he understood the power of prayer, and so he cried out to the Lord, and the Bible tells us that the Lord not only heard him, but he also answered him. And so now we can transition into the new verses where we talk about sort of the summary of Jonah's rescue. Verses 3 through parts of 6 will also recount the misery Verse 3 says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. 
Now I want to pause here for a second and highlight the fact that Jonah said, for you. He was talking to God in that moment. He said, for you cast me into the deep. In chapter one, we read that the mariners are the ones who threw Jonah into the deep. And they did, physically. But in verse three, Jonah is acknowledging that he knew that God was in complete control the entire time. You see, Jonah was given the assignment of a prophetic journey to Nineveh, but he tried to initiate his separate and his own personal journey to Tarshish. And so God said, okay, you wanna deviate from my plan, you wanna try to go the opposite direction, let me see you get through this storm first. You see, the storm was Jonah's judgment, not the great fish. You remember the storm that came and threatened to break up the ship and end the lives of all of the men who were on that ship? Jonah knew that if he stayed aboard that the men would die, and so he told them to throw him overboard. You see, Jonah wouldn't take his own life, but he would willingly take the rightful punishment for disobeying God, to take the responsibility for his sin and to protect the mariners. So in verse 4, Jonah is still in his misery when he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now this is a short verse, but it holds a wealth of information that is essential for our understanding. You see, Jonah said, I am driven away from your sight. Now he knows that the Lord can see him wherever he goes, whenever he goes, but he also knows that he has been temporarily expelled from God's presence. Now today, believers in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and it will never leave us. John 14, 16 says, we have been given a helper, that is the Holy Spirit, and it will be with us forever. But prior to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit had sort of this come and go relationship with people. The Spirit would be on people or the Spirit would be with people, but it would not be in people, at least not until Pentecost, which can be found in Acts 2. For instance, in Samuel 16, 13, we are told that the Spirit came upon David. It came upon him, not in him, but upon him. But after his infidelity with Bathsheba, David feared that the Holy Spirit would be taken away from him. In fact, he prayed in Psalms 51, 11 and said, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He understood that he could lose the Holy Spirit in that moment. So while we as believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit within us and it will never leave us, the benefits and the joy of his presence can in fact depart from us. And I believe that this is what Jonah is experiencing in that moment. So as he sat in the belly of that fish and he thought he was dying and so of course he cried out to God and he said, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. But don't we do that sometimes? We, like Jonah, we look away from the temple, we look away from the presence of God and we try to follow our own desires and our own wishes that is until we are desperately in need of the Lord. And according to what we're going to see in verses five and six, Jonah is desperate. We don't realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all that we have. And Jonah has just come to the realization, this realization with God. So in verses five and six, uh, something interesting happens. You see, Jonah begins to describe what he believed to be his death, but then midway through verse six, Jonah revisits a brief description of his rescue. Verse five says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pits, O Lord my God. Quick sidebar, we ought to give God some, God some praise for the yets. We ought to give God some praise for the yets. Perhaps one of these sentences will re uh, resonate with you. I have failed you time and time again, Lord, yet 
you have forgiven me. At times I have lost sight of our relationship, Lord, yet you still call me friend. And Lord, I have neglected the vow to love others as you have loved me, yet you extend your mercy, your love, and your grace. We ought to give God some praise for the yet. As a matter of fact, just ask yourself, where would you be without the yet? Would your marriage still be intact? Would you have survived that divorce? Would your ministry still be effective without the yet? Would your money be sufficient? Would you still have your job? Would you even still be alive? Jonah would have died in the sea if it had not been for the yet. And so I just want to encourage someone today in your prayer, remember to thank God for the yet. In verse 7, Jonah continues on, when my life was fainting away, that is, while I was stubbornly sitting in the belly of that fish for three days straight, refusing to see things your way, Lord, I was watching my own life depart from me. And so I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So here he includes words of an appeal for his rescue. But this is the second time Jonah mentioned the holy temple, and so let's talk about it in a little depth for a minute so we can give it some context here. You see, the ancient Jews considered the holy temple the place where the, the God's divine presence would always dwell. The first temple was built in Jerusalem by King Solomon by way of King David. And what I mean by that is the Lord gave King David direct instructions for how he wanted Solomon to build his holy temple. And essentially, he just wanted to use the best of the best materials and the best of the best workers. The temple was established as a sacred place to worship and give offerings to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The temple had three sections, three. There was the outer courts, the inner courts, and then the holy of holies. Some of your Bibles might say the most holy place. The outer court is where the people gathered to pray and make offerings. The inner court was reserved for the high priest where they performed their ritual duties. And then the last chamber, known as the holy of holies, is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is um, a gold-plated chest that held the manna, it held Aaron's rod, and it held the tablets of the covenant given to Moses. Now, the first temple was destroyed, and the second temple was built, but it was also destroyed. But still, Jews and Christians from all over the world will still travel to Jerusalem to visit the remnants of the outer walls. You see, the temple emphasized the presence of God in the midst of his people. God was always there and always accessible, which is how we can understand why, back in Verse 4, Jonah said, yet again, I will look upon your holy temple. Despite the fact that these temples have been destroyed, wherever Jews were, they would still turn towards Jerusalem, towards that holy temple to pray, because they believe that this is where God's divine presence was all of the time. But here's what I think we have to remember. Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross, and he changed our understanding for what it means to have access to God. We no longer are restricted by the chambers of or chambers one, two, and three of any temple, but God is now available to all of us through the death of Jesus Christ. We don't have to make any blood sacrifices like they did back in the day because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice with his blood on the cross. And if you get a chance to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 explains it the best when it states, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the curtain and the most holy place. Jesus grants us full access to God 
all the time. The problem is we don't realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. If you're still with me, somebody say amen. All right, you're still awake. Amen. So we're going to jump into verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 are the concluding testimonial and the vow sections of this prayer or this psalm. In verse 8, Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In other words, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, or those who worship false idols turn their backs on all of God's mercies and grace. So I want to bring two quick points here. First, I want to revisit this, this idea of what an idol is. As Tim Keller stated, to contemporary people, the, world, the word idolatry conjures up pictures of primitive people bowing down before statues. Now, of course, we don't have to bow down before statues anymore, but we still have a laundry list of things that we idolize and we worship. For some of us, it's beauty, money, luxury. For others, it's our careers, our positions, our titles. And for others, it's intellectuality, recognition, accolades, and this list goes on. But as we learn through the heavy lifting series, paying regards to vain idols is when we make any created thing the ultimate thing. Pastor J.D. put it another way when he said, if we allow anything in our hearts to become more consuming than God, then that thing is an idol. If there is anything in our heart that I think can give me only what God can give me, then that thing is an idol. So when we regard these vain idols, we directly or indirectly allow them to substitute God in our lives. And by doing so, we voluntarily turn away from his mercies, his grace, and his love, or we forsake the hope for steadfast love as noted by Jonah. So simply put, we just play ourselves. And the second point I want to draw your attention to is the fact that it appears that Jonah is dropping a gem on us, but really he is just testifying to his own personal experience. He tells us to pay no regards to, uh, to not pay regards to vain idols, but he completely misses the mark himself. You see, it is Jonah who is regarding the vain idols. It is Jonah that turned away from the mercies and the grace of God. Not only did he allow his disdain for the Ninevites to supersede the will of God, but he allowed his opinion to become more important than the prophecy. Even worse, even worse, he tried to deny Nineveh their rightful access to the same mercies and grace that he had been afforded. Do you know anyone like that? Someone who's quick to try to kick knowledge or drop some advice on you, but they're the last ones to follow their own advice. You know, they'll talk the talk, but won't walk the walk. Do you know anyone like that? Some of us might need to pray and make sure we are not that somebody. And so the way I see it, Jonah testifies and he acknowledges that he messed up. And so he solidifies his prayer of thanksgiving with verse 9. He says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So this is, this is a thanksgiving song. It is a song of gratitude. It is not an all-purpose prayer suitable for any occasion. Jonah was praying with this thanksgiving psalm as a way to thank God for showing him mercy. He was alive even though he did not deserve to be. He is alive even though he could have drowned and he should have drowned. That is what he, he warranted, right? His, his behavior sort of warranted death. But Jonah experienced the grace of God despite his disobedience. He knew it. And so he eloquently said so in this prayer. But let me give you a secret about Jonah's prayer. Uh, if Jonah's prayer is truly a song, today we would call it a remix. In fact, Jonah might even be sued for copyright infringement because virtually everything that he said, every word of his prayer was inspired by the Psalms. 
And if you want to check it out, I, I believe his name is Pastor David Schrock. Um, he's a member of the, the Gospel Coalition. He composed this comprehensive verse-by-verse -verse comparison that can easily be found online by a quick Google search. You can see literally almost every word that Jonah spat out in this prayer, in this psalm, comes directly from the book of Psalms. And finally, verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Again, we are reminded that God is in control. You see, the sailors tried to get Jonah back to the dry land, but they needed God to do that. They desperately tried to calm the sea, but they needed God to do that. Jonah couldn't swim to save his own life. He needed God to do that. Jonah couldn't escape from the belly of the fish, even if he tried. Why? Because he needed God to do that. Sometimes we just don't realize that all we need is Jesus until Jesus is all that we have. And so the Lord spoke to the fish and he spat Jonah out. I say Jonah's lucky because he deserved to come out the other end of the fish. So not only was Jonah spat up and delivered, but he was spat up on dry land. And that may seem insignificant to some of you, but Jonah could have been spat back into the ocean, back into the deep justifiably. But God has the power to merely speak into your situation to rescue you in the deep. Since the very beginning of time, when God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, darkness was over the face of the deep, the Lord spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. God spoke it. Remember when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples in the middle of the storm? Jesus rebuked the wind and said, peace be still, and it was still. He spoke it. Or what about the time Lazarus was dead in his tomb for four days and Jesus shows up and he said, remove this tomb. And with a loud voice, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out. Jesus spoke it. How many of you know that the Lord can just speak into your situations? He can and he will. Sometimes we just have to realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus all we have. What I love most about the Jonah story thus far is that it reminds us so much about Jesus. As Jonah recounts his near-death experience, we can see the connections to the death story of Jesus. Now here's a fun fact. Although many theologians and scholars and others might compare Jesus to other prophets, it is understood that Jonah is the only prophet that Jesus compares himself to. In Matthew 12, 40, Jesus clearly states, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then again in Luke 11:30, Jesus says, For as Jonah became a sign of the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be the, for this generation. But the comparisons don't stop there. Uh, Cameron Hyde, pastor and founder of the Roots Student Ministry, composed this pretty interesting and concise list of comparisons between Jesus and Jonah. He said that both Jonah and Jesus were messengers. True. Jonah was sent to be a lowercase savior for Nineveh. True. Jesus was sent to be a savior to all. Jonah and uh, Jesus were both on a boat caught in a great storm. Jonah and Jesus were both sleeping through that great storm. Jonah and Jesus both had people on that boat wake them up, begging them for help. Jonah offered his life to save those on the ship, but Jesus offered his life to save sinners of the world. Both Jonah and Jesus spent three days and three nights in the deep before being resurrected. In some, Jesus is the true and better Jonah. He is the perfect Savior. Now, some of you might be questioning, how is this applicable to our lives? Well, first, I would argue that we aren't that much different than Jonah. We have all likely tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, knowingly or unknowingly. Many of us, if not all of us, have challenged or even neglected our relationship with God in some way that wasn't pleasing to him. 
And I am sure we have all had a testimony about a time when we were in the deepest of the deep, desperately in need of Jesus. So for me, the question must become, how do we respond to those moments? And I make the case to say, just like Jonah did, that's with a voice of thanksgiving, making a sacrifice to the Lord. You see, Jonah experienced the grace of God, and many will agree that God did not treat Jonah the way he should have treated him for his sins or the what his sins deserve. But guess what? God has not treated us the way we deserve to be treated based on our sins either. Therefore, as stated in Hebrew 13, 15, through him, that is through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips, of lips that acknowledge his name. We can do it, we ought to do it, but sometimes we don't realize Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. Let me pray for us.